every business leader I've talked to, and it's coming up on about 85 since I started this project, every single one has come across and said at some point in time, they've been stuck. Business has been stuck. Personally, they've been stuck. Professionally, they've been stuck. They're just in a rut. Well, what do you do? You listen to this podcast. It's all about personal and professional transformation from one of the best in the biz today on the podcast. Welcome to the Founders Place podcast, the place where exceptional founders grow. Now here's your host, Todd Todd Wills. Hello, welcome to the podcast. Very excited to have Julie. I've known Julie for a number of years. She is a phenomenal leader and marketer. But one of the things that sets her apart is this ability to transform herself and her profession and her career and the business that she's in. I saw her do it at SAP. I've seen her do it just more recently. She's been a CMO, a chief storyteller, a chief experience officer, a marketing consultant. She's grown, moved, and evolved along the way. And what she's really good at is helping your organization find a way to transform itself. But don't let me tell it. We'll let Julie do it all today on the podcast. Julie, you are going to start off just like we start everybody on the podcast with who are you and why the heck are you here? Who are you? Wow. That's the philosophical question. Existential, Uh, I know. Yes. Uh, Well, so I'm Julie Rame and I have, um, I've had many monikers over the years, um, but um, so I'm mother probably and wife first and foremost. So two boys, uh, one who's about to be a junior in college and one who, in fact, today is his first day of back to school as a senior in high school. So um, I'm going to be an empty nester in a year. So um, lots of life changes coming Been married for almost 24 years. So uh, that's sort of who I am to start with um, in sort of real life and then kind of career life have been, as I said, many different monikers there as well. Um, You know, marketing obviously is the theme there, but CMO, um, chief storyteller, chief experience officer, um, marketing consultant, strategic relationships. So I've had a lot of different um, titles. And I think, I think mostly the reason for that is not sort of a lack of, you know, having a true identity, but I think it's more, I can, I, I see myself as, as, um, or I hope I see, I hope I am, I see myself as somebody who is constantly learning and evolving. And in this profession, nothing stands still. So I think back to, you know, when I was an undergrad, I was an undergrad in engineering sort of strangely, and then went and got my master's degree in business and, um, started a marketing career there. And, and even then, I, I got my MBA from the University of Chicago, which, you know, back in the mid-90s wasn't really where marketers went. I think I was one of literally probably a very countable on two hands number of people who graduated with a marketing um, concentration from the University of Chicago. Everybody hmm. else is, was, you know, finance, and they're all probably on their own private island now, so I might have not done it exactly right. But um, <laughs> <laughs> so... But um, I, what it did have, you know, what it, what it did instill in me was um, kind of between the engineering and the, just the fact that I was at Chicago getting an, an MBA was a very quantitative um, focus. And I think that served me well, especially in the mid nineties when 
you know, the, the digital era and the dot-com era was just coming into um, existence, really. I, I, was, I was all about it. I was very much a kind of a lean-in kind of person for that. And, um, you know, that was sort of the CMO, my first sort of as I, you know, through the auto industries, becoming CMO there. Um, it was a differentiator for me because I, I had a lot of peers who had gone into more of the CPG, which was more of the historically traditional kind of marketing. And right. I was already starting to kind of veer into this more, you know, digital quantitative um, kind of aspect. And then, you know, moved through and ended up with my own consulting firm. And that was much more of a strategic play and really helping companies, you know, think through what comes next or try to problem solve or see opportunities maybe where they hadn't thought of them before by thinking a little bit differently and out of the box. And then, um, you know, after that, you and I uh, met at SAP and um, Bill McDermott, the CEO there, who I still love and adore. He's uh, an amazing, an amazing person and charismatic and, and, you know, and I love him also because he's also one who just likes to take a chance on things that he sees a future. And, and so he yeah. gave me this title of chief storyteller because um, he saw an opportunity to try to take all those kind of convoluted skews that SAP sells, the varying, you know, different kinds of <laughs> software, which, you know, historically the company would sell through white papers and, you know, when you understand that even though you're in a technology industry and that most people who are interested in what you're selling are technology loving, I don't know a single human being, even in those spaces, who enjoys reading white papers. I guess there's probably some out there, but I just haven't met them. Somewhere. I haven't met them. There's someone so, there in a deep, dark cuggy hole who's, who's enjoying reading a white paper, but no. Like, they, bring it on. They, yes, don't, I, they don't let them out. It's um, so it was, you know, my take on it was, I just think, Bill, we should just be be trying to explain what it is the software does in terms that are meaningful to not just the customer, i.e. the business person, whether it's the CFO or the CIO or whoever in this company, but to the customer's customer. Because when we can start to talk in terms of how, you know, the software that we're, um, we're selling is helping that CFO, that CIO, that CMO, actually um, make their job them more successful because their end customer, um, whether it's somebody, you know, buying, visiting a, a Disney park, for instance, or, or buying um, a television from, you know, Sony, that those customers are now having a better, richer experience, um, better product, whatever, because of us, I think it, it will just help us sell more. It'll help us be more connective it'll help us sell more product. And at the end of the day, it's, it's going to create this sort of tug of war where if our customer, the business person, you know, starts to be less excited about us, hopefully we'll have made a big enough impact with the end customer that it will be very hard to want to, to walk away from us because we're making such a difference in that end person's live that end customers lives. So I was my, my thought to him when he and I initially discussed it was um, to be the Intel inside, you know, and of course that dates us, but you know, <laughs> the Intel inside was, you know, you, nobody bought Intel chips, just you bought the Intel chip inside the computer and you saw the little swirly thing and you were like, Oh, if it's an Intel chip, it must be faster, better. And I'll pay yeah. a premium. And I just thought, why not do the same thing with SAP? So thus was born the, 
two storyteller role. Um, so let, then, let me jump in here for a second. Yeah. So, so uh, yeah. one of the things that I know is, so I know you and I know your background and I am mm-hmm. fascinated and you and I could go off to the races and just start talking, get kind of in deep and geek out on, on details. But a lot of people don't know who you are. So I want to take us back here for just a second and, and yeah. go over some of the sort of relevant things about you and the, and the things that I really enjoyed about you and enjoyed working with you and that I saw that you really brought out and brought into an organization. So first, um, you know, the nice thing about having a podcast and not this being a radio interview is those people on those private islands can actually listen to this. So <laughs> you could say hi to all of your all of your moms and grads and, and all of your yeah. classmates that are now sitting in their private yachts and enjoying yeah. their, their Mai Tais in the afternoon um, while, while you're on the podcast. So Still slogging it out here in the real world. Exactly. But, you know, represent the University of Chicago. So, you know, <laughs> go. Okay. So that was the first. Uh, the second is uh, I, I was really struck. I'm going all the way back to the beginning, but I was really struck that you identified yourself first and foremost as, you know, wife and mother and you, you interjected the personal side, which I I think is fantastic and fascinating because it sort of leans in and indicates that you've got a a balance in your life that part of part of who you are is not just your professional identity, but your identity wrapped around all of these other aspects, your, your personal life and your community and your family and your kids and your husband and, and you, and, and, you know, I'm sure you have hobbies and interests and it sounds like you've got a well-rounded perspective, which I, I think often gets missed when you do professional based podcasts or conversations with folks where they deal strictly with the professional side but the personal side really supports all of that. Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting and I'm, I'm sure I wasn't this um, well balanced in my thinking 20 years ago. <laughs> so sure. It comes a little bit with age and with experience. And I think also with, um, you know, having faced the ups and downs, you know, having, having mm-hmm. had been knocked hard and then, risen back up and you know we all we all ex- will experience that in some form or fashion in our in our lives and I, I think well I hope for most people that it's an a uh, it's an awakening to see that we often are defined by our job title um, in if you're if you're in the corporate world that's typically how you're defined you're you're the CMO you're the CFO whatever but and, and then you're, you're revered because you get all the phone calls um, to speak or to join a conference or, you know, be on boards. And, you know, it, it creates this sense of, it can create this sense of value and worth. And, I, and I'm not trying to take anything away because I still strive. I still have aspirations and I'm still ambitious. But at the end of the day, those aren't the kinds of things that, you know, are, are going to I think really change the world. I think <laughs> we can change the world by the things we do, um, certainly in business, but we have an opportunity to change the world by, by just doing more as human beings that connect us to one another. And so for me, that's trying to raise two men who I hope will do great things for the world. You know, um, even if it's in a small way that they're contributing, I, you know, I hope to, my, my parents are, are both alive and, you know, they've had their shares of illnesses and, and things, but I hope to be able to, um, you know, do good things there. You just, I, I just, I have had a sense of, I guess, a, a realization that balance is important. And when I find that I am able to 
to do to do sort of that family life as well as the career, I'm I'm happier, and I think I'm able to give more um, in total. In fact, it's funny. Um, so you and I worked at SAP, big big global virtual company, and so most people in that company, the 80,000 employees, or however big it is now. Um, most people work virtually very, you know, a small fraction actually go into an office every day. And that was a very big adjustment for me when I started at SAP, mm-hmm. but I was there for five years. And then this last company I was with, um, this private equity owned portfolio company was also, you know, you, you more or less worked virtually, but you traveled a lot. That was sort of the deal. If you want to work virtually, then you travel a lot, which is fine. But what I found is that kind of going back to the family thing, I found in these last seven years where I've had that, I've had a much better connectivity with my community and my family because I'm able to adjust that. It's not this regimented wake up at five, get in the car, get on the train, go into the city, sit in an office and meetings, take the train back, you know, then do some work on your computer. You know, you're just exhausted. I've found that I have much more to give because I'm able to adjust things so I can go to the game. I can go to the play. Um, you know, my husband and I can, can go make a dinner with friends and then I can, I can work at maybe their unusual hours, but there are lots of hours and typically more hours than I would have actually dedicated had I done that commuting slog the way people do. Yeah. And so that balance has really come mostly over the last seven years. Well, and, and, you know, one of the things I want to explore too, that I think will play nicely into this is, you know, you talked about the myriad of different roles that you've had. And so while you're, you're striking balance with your balance, right, you're trying to find that it's the work-life balance, but it's just this balance of how do you manage all of this and manage your priorities and do it in such a way that you're giving the most of yourself at the most appropriate time that you're present there for a a kid's soccer match and at the same time when you need to go in and it's late at night and maybe off hours you're able to go in and really dedicate some time effort and energy to work and you make all of that work so as you find that balance you're also finding balance in terms of your curiosity with all these different roles I, i think one of the things that's great about you is you haven't pigeonholed yourself into just one thing yes you can put it broadly under the scope of marketing and we can say that you're a marketer, but, but you've also taken these roles of customer experience and CMO and Mm -hmm. storyteller and leader and in partnerships and in launching new products and services that I think helps to make you a well-rounded marketer, but also it's a little different. It's a little uncomfortable for some people. I know some people that would hate to have lived that life that they want to be known for one thing and they'll go in deep and, and they're very comfortable with that. Like maybe those are the people that are reading the white papers in the, in the basement. Somewhere. Right. But, very happy with it. But yeah. they just want that one thing in life. And I think you've, you've always challenged and looked to, okay, what's next? What's the thing around the corner and how do I evolve my career? And I, I'd, I'd love to have you talk about, because some of it's maybe circumstantial, but a lot of it was very intentional for you. Yeah. I, you know, it's, you and I uh, spoke a little bit about, you know, being what life was like at SAP and, and they're not unlike most companies. There's, there's a, there's some people who just enjoy that repetition, the same kind of thing. They like that there's a comfort or security in no, sort of knowing what the day is going to bring. And that's how they like to live. I 
it's, I am the opposite of that. (laughs) (laughs) I, I, that would, I would, that would, and some, and I'm not saying it's good or bad because you need to have that. If you don't have, if you had everybody was like me sort of, sort of looking for that next thing and trying to peel it apart and, and finding new opportunities and kind of trying always new, there would be no stability, you know, in companies. So it, the sort of the mix of the mix of people and what they like is what I think is, is important to have a successful endeavor. But for me, the kind of going back to what I, I liked and being intentional about the change, I have always liked, I like to pursue the, the next thing. Um, what, what was great about sort of SAP and going in, it was this create, it was creating this chief storyteller role. It didn't exist. I, I, I think it's there still, somebody has it, but when I got there, it was the first time it had ever been introduced to SAP. I think there might've, in fact, it might've been one of the first, I might've been one of the first chief storytellers period. There, there might've mm-hmm. been a few others, but I think it was fairly rare. It was pretty um, new. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and it was trying, <laughs> I remember the first time telling my dad, he's like, you're the what? He's like, so what does that mean? Like, do you like get out books and read to the, I was like, yeah, yep. It's exactly like that. I gather everybody in a conference room and boys and girls, we're going to now read from Tale of Two Cities. No, the it's not. SAP that could. <laughs> right. So, you know, and I, I've always sort of been, <laughs> you know, between that one and then this chief experience officer, I've sort of been enjoyed having titles that, that are not necessarily in the mainstream where people sort of, you know, like the dog where they you, you, you speak in a high voice and they tilt their head and look at you sort of funny when people sort of do that back to you, when you give them your title, I like that because it gives you an opportunity to, to talk about something different. And, and there's, 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 an, there's, a, I guess, an attention and an interest because it's not the norm. And so for that, you know, I explained sort of what the idea of storyteller was um, in terms of trying to connect and tell the stories of the customer's customer and a, a different perspective. So when I was with this, with Abra, um, this private equity owned um, company, the, the title that I went in with was CMO. Um, and it was about 30 days in, um, just so I'm gonna give you, for everybody out there, Abra was, was an auto body collision company. Um, and uh, I, I'm kind of giggling because it was such a joke. You know, I was chief storyteller and SVP of strategic relationships at SAP. And then I left to be CMO of Abra Auto Body and Glass. And I laughed to people. I'm like, well, for, for sure I had to leave. I needed a sexier role. So I had to leave technology to go an auto body collision because that was clearly me. And why not go to that? I mean, clearly that's a step in the right direction. You know, sure. what's, that's definitely the next step up. But um, I, I went because uh, it was the people I knew who were there. I just saw it as an opportunity for a transformational opportunity that I could do something different. But um, auto body collision, it's a, it's a big industry, bigger than most people think. It's like a $47 billion industry, but like 90%, 91% of our revenue comes from insurance carriers because you call your insurance carrier when you get in an accident, you know, so, and they pay us to repair your car. So when you think about what a CMO does, most people were like, so you build advertising? And of course not. So people only get an accident like once every seven years. And I don't need to advertise to the insurance carrier because they need us. You know, it's already a partnership. So I was like, no, that's not what I'm doing. And it took about 30 days for me to change the title, my title from CMO to CXO to chief experience officer. Because what we wanted to do was be, was really transform not only the company, which is really what we started, but it's, it's, 
it's now changing the industry because when you think about your experience in in getting your vehicle repaired in a and then this is just auto body collision so this isn't like your oil change or or you know windshield wiper this is body collision work right it's it's like dropping your vehicle off in a black hole i mean it's the for most people it's the second most expensive purchase they'll ever make and you know it's if car accidents are usually rank in the top five of the most traumatic experiences you'll ever have so now you've got these two things and then you drop it off someplace and you're intimidated most people are intimidated you're like because you don't know what's going on it's not a familiarity because hopefully you haven't been there in many years and but you leave it and you're like I just hope somebody calls me back you know they tell me they're going to but then they don't and so you sit there you know kind of on pins and needles and I just thought you know in a world where I I can know when somebody's putting pepperoni on my pizza how many minutes are left in the oven and like where that vehicle with my pizza is on its way to me that I can know that much about that and know nothing. I can't schedule my appointment online. I can't know in what phase of repair my vehicle is in. I can't, you know, see like the picture of my advisor, you know, his little circle with his little photo and his phone number. I can't do any of that. You know, it's all, it's all still super, super manual and analog. I just thought this is ridiculous. We have an opportunity to change this experience into something really positive for the customer. And then inevitably positive, I think for the company, which is exactly what we did. So we, we brought in software again, none of this was like, none of this makes me a genius, by the way, this is just bringing in modern thinking into an industry that had really been left behind is, is how I look at it because all this technology and all this thinking already existed. Smarter people than me invented and built this stuff in every other industry except this one. And I just was able to sort of see that opportunity and and bring it in. And we, we did that, you know, we created a mobile, I, there was, I was never going to ask anybody to download an app by the way, because you once every seven years, I'm not going to take up real estate on your phone. So we created a web app and it just allowed people to be able to do all those things and see everything about their repair online and to share that information digitally with, you know, their family or whomever versus having to literally pick up a phone and have to call. Now we still have that as an option, but what we found out is, is Hmm. while it improved the customer satisfaction because people felt much more in control of the experience, much more, they felt that they had a much greater understanding of, of expectation. And, and um, we, we actually did little emoji based sort of um, surveys in the middle saying, you know, do you feel you've had enough information on your repair? And if they gave us a negative emoji, it was another key for us to go back to our, our shop and have them make a call to the customer to try to bring them on track. Cause CSI is something, you know, we were tracking, but it was also, um, it allowed us to actually convert more of those assignments from the insurance carrier into an actual repair order, which at the end of the day is what the carrier wants. They want to get that car repaired. They don't want the car on the road, you know, in disrepair, assuming it's still drivable. Yeah. And we want it, of course, because we want more repairs, the more money we make. Um, and so we actually converted about 7 8% more. Um, than we were before this and every percent of conversion was worth about five to 10 million in EBITDA because it was purely efficiency. So we made a huge impact, you know, financially um, operations wise, we were getting customers in the door quicker 
um, scheduling faster. So that was um, very helpful because it allowed us to, to see on the books when customers were coming in, the parts ordering so that we had a more efficient flow in the operations. It was just, um, it, you know, it was a labor of love and we did this in 18 months. Um, and it was, um, so when we talk about sort of that transformation and sort of reinvention, for me, this was, you know, this was my most recent thing and I'm still sort of excited about it because it, it's so rare to be able to find an industry that has largely been untouched by the digital world yeah. and to be able to have the freedom. And I think largely because it was a private equity owned versus public where you're constantly working on the, the quarterly returns versus trying to take a, a couple of risks that might not pay off for, you know, three quarters or a year or, you know, 18 months or whatever it might be that environment um, which was a bit more risk loving with an amazing team of executives where we were all pulling for the same thing and not trying to like buy for position against one another had just this amazing outcome. And, and, you know, I think unfortunately we probably did, did too well too quickly because we ended up merging <laughs> with the other biggest player, uh, in the industry. And, um, we, uh, we just completed the merger. And so I, I worked my way right out of a job. But um, it, all, all good though, right? I mean, we get the, the nice thing also about private equity is you, you've got equity and you get your buyout and you earn out and um, severance and all that kind of thing. So it's a, it's, a good, it's a good thing, but it's also a little bittersweet because there was so much more that could be done. And, um, you know, when you think about that, I don't see this as like a constant reinvention. I think for me, this is a, I think I'm now like a sleuth and what I, I'm trying to finding companies and opportunities where you can see something that, um, that could really be kind of groundbreaking for them, but not because you're bringing in something that no one's ever thought of ever. It's just, you're bringing in things that have really worked in other places and you just kind of rethink it, but for this industry or this platform and that's, and then you have to kind of figure out, all right, now how do we make it happen? How do we, connect it with the operations and how do we, and so it is a, it is more of a holistic thinking because it's not just thinking marketing, you're thinking technology and operations yeah. and HR a lot because it's <clears throat> employee experience based as well. But those are the kinds of things that I get very excited about. Um, and then you kind of learn about yourself. I, I need to be in a place where I've got a great set of leaders who are all kind of in it to win it together, that there's not, you know, look, I guess you'll never get rid of politics, but I had this, like the perfect, the Nirvana experience, this last experience, there were no politics. We, we really, there really wasn't. Um, and I, you know, it's hard to find that, but to be able to find that kind of thing where you're really all just pushing to the same end, um, is, is really magical. And so, um, you know, what comes next, I don't know, but I, I know that finding transformational opportunities like that is sort of where my heart is. You know, one of the things that I love about C-Suite Radio, I mean love about C-Suite Radio, is our sponsors. That's right. Those are the people that put time, effort, money, resources, and their faith in this podcast. So I would really appreciate if you listen to one of them today. Thanks for listening. Now, back to the interview. So I've got a I got a quick comment on some of the things you just talked about, and then I've got a question which will will guide us into uh, I think the question that a lot of the listeners are going to have. Okay, so the comment is this: you, you you made this point about well, I'm not a genius, and and okay, that's true, I guess. You know, I I think 
genius gets overused and I, I think it's more rare than we believe it is. But I also know that you looked at this and said, okay, here's an opportunity to stretch both myself and the organization into some new, unique, and interesting areas. It would have been easy as a CMO of an organization like that to just go in and write up a bunch of mini white papers for the insurance companies or to do, you know, traditional marketing or do lunch and learns or do something more direct, right? More overt. But you took the approach to look at this through a different lens, through a different perspective and start thinking about, again, some of what you've done in your past, how you view and think of the world roles like you had with Chief Storyteller, but really started to look at this more as an experiential play and then turn that into something that had direct impact on EBITDA that wasn't just an exercise in, oh, let's make the customer feel better. That's part of it. But you also tied it directly into let's help the business grow, thrive, and survive so much so that you accelerated its growth so to <laughs> let yourself out of a job, right? <laughs> so I, that that in and of itself takes a different type of viewpoint, a different skill set. So one of the things that I know that a lot of people that listen to this are, you know, we talked about this as sort of transformational leaders. They're, they're building something from scratch. They're launching into a new space. Maybe it's a new geography or a new, uh, new vertical, or they're, they're launching into a new market. They're trying to take the company in a new direction. They're trying to be an incubator within the organization. They all have a similarity of they're trying to do something new and break new ground. So how, how can they tap into what you've done here and the sort of Julie secret sauce and then start to think about, okay, what can I do? What should I be doing in my life as I start thinking about revolutionary revolutionizing my industry or my space? Yeah. So, so for sure, I, I guess kind of going back to the, um, sort of the could have could have sat and had the status quo experience type yeah. of thing versus um, it does it does require a bit of um, kind of a bit of nerve because it's risk taking. Um, anytime you try to do something that's not the status quo, there's a chance it'll fail. And I've had epic failures, some of them extraordinarily public, some of them, you know, not but um, all those failures, you know, it's, it's a, uh, it's, I don't know, you know, it's like, it's, um, I think people say, you know, it feels like it's very overstated, but the failures really do inform success. And it's, it's by knowing, by having had failures enough, you're able to recognize um, opportunities and the potential pitfalls and where the failures might occur in it so that you can quickly adjust. So I'm all about failing fast forward um, in that it's, like move quickly. I, I measure once maybe, yes, but not measure a million times. Just measure and try. You'll learn from, from that and you'll be able to move on quickly and adjust because there are going to be little tweaks and failures along the way. But having, I think the, the keys to this are having the nerve to do it, understanding that there's going to be some failure along the way, preparing for those failures. And the best way to prepare for those failures are being transparent. And that is a big thing um, for me in terms of having evolved because I wasn't always that way. But the more transparent you can be with your your peers. And so for me in my role, this last experience, it was with our COO, it was with our CIO, it was with our CHRO. 
because that's kind of the, the world and our head of business dev who was working with you know, the insurance carriers, because I had to spend a lot of time convincing the insurance carriers to let us use the customer data to do this kind of thing, um, is, you know, was to be really transparent about the process and all these pieces, letting them have input like, okay, but how is that going to work? And well, what about when it gets to the shop floor and like, you know, how many times are you going to be pulling them away from what they're doing to get some sort of alert that some other customer isn't happy okay, good. Yeah. Let's think about that. How should we process that? Uh, by b- being super transparent, instead of trying to be the superstar, if you yeah. will, if you, do you know what I mean? Where it's I like, do. I just want to package this and be like the big reveal on stage. I, and I say that because I had done that. I remember being at Chrysler and it was like, we would, we would, our marketing team would work on a big campaign to launch the new Ram or the charger or the Hemi engine. And you, you did that. You'd put it together and you'd do this big reveal to applause. And it was, you know, it was kind of more traditional advertising kind of thing. And it's when that's sort of how you've grown up, it's hard to kind of go into this other space, which is really incubator. Like mm-hmm. you're not building advertising, you're building well experience and now experience touches the whole organization. And so by being transparent and, and sharing your thinking and letting others sort of prod and poke and then, you know, doing beta testing and asking them to be the feedback and to be the testers and to, it, it brings the whole organization and it makes the product better. And those failures happen in these sort of incubated like beta spaces versus, you know, at scale when it's much harder to adjust and you're much more likely to do damage, um, you know, to, to existing customers. So, that transparency piece is is a major component. And I think when you asked about how can others, you know, what do I do at least and, and what works for me in terms of thinking those transformational opportunities is I really do, again, very trite to say, put myself into the position of that customer or I try to go and watch the customers interact. Yeah. Um, and if, you know, one of the things when I went, just even going back to Abra, is I started and the little team I had, I was like, how many of you have been to a shop lately? Okay, none of them. I'm like, okay, everybody, not all in the same week, but everybody over the next month, each of you are going to have a week and you're going to go spend a week in the shop. You're going to go in the back of the shop with the technicians, the body technicians, and you're going to stay at the front of the shop with the people who are interacting with the customers. And you're going to, you're going to look at it and you're going to take notes and you're going to, you're going to see and you're going to put yourself in those customers positions and, you know, and and the employees positions in the back of the house and what are we doing and come back with some sort of perspective. And then you're going to do it again, you know, for two days the following month. And so, and I spent one week of every month in shops in various parts of the country and that kind of grounding yourself in the Hmm. business in front of the customer is where those, for me, those ideas come from. Because if you can just take yourself out of what you think you know about your industry and your business and just put yourself in a customer's position who knows probably, at least in this case, nothing about the industry or business, they just know that they've got now their vehicle and they've got kids and maybe they're a single mom or a single dad and now they have to have a rental car and you gave me a rental car, but you gave me a Prius and I had a minivan and how do I get my car seat? And like, you know, you like, you start to think about these little things that are so like little and inconsequential, maybe quote unquote to the business operation, but so impactful to that end customer. And when you can think about that, 
that's when the ideas come like, okay, what if we could build the optimal experience from the customer's perspective? And then let's go back in and merge these two because we almost always start to think about it from the company's perspective out. And if you can start to think from the customer's perspective in, I think there's a big win. And I just a little caveat, which is why this last um, summit of the CEOs that came out where they, I'm sure you, right, you read where they changed um, yep. what their mission is to now be maybe not only shareholder value focused, but specifically customer focused. It's amazing to me that it went on that long, not being customer focused, because I don't know a successful company that didn't start with thinking about the customer first, that didn't then end up creating more shareholder value as, as a result. So I, you know, for me, I guess I, I, I'm connecting those mantras because I think if you, I think there's just greater opportunity and maybe CEOs are starting to see that too. Um, and maybe that'll allow for more experimentation or opportunity for others in various companies to just go out and maybe push that needle a little bit more to really being customer centric. Yeah. And for, for those of you that are listening that don't know the, the article that Julie's referring to, it was a recent New York Times article. Uh, it was also in Barron's and a few other places where they talked about 200 CEOs that have just come out and said they're uh, abandoning the traditional Chicago school of economics. We're bringing up Chicago again um, and focusing more on uh, a capitalist market that has social good customer focus and employee focus as major tenants of its growth and not just shareholder or investor value. And that shift in model has been revolutionary for a variety of different businesses and organizations as they've, sort of rethought what their purpose is. What are we doing for the planet? What are we doing for our communities? What are we doing around our people? What are we doing around our customers? And taking the shareholder out of being the sole uh, purpose and, and driver of the organization doesn't mean they're still not important, but it's been a shift for them. So it, it's been interesting to see the impact of that, the ripple effect and the conversations that are starting to happen because it's been um, it, it's been a dramatic change and a wake-up call for, I think, a lot of people in the industry. It's one small pebble, but hopefully it'll make a bigger ripple effect as time goes on. So, Julie, thank you for bringing that up because that's so key as well. Mm -hmm. um, so, look, we these conversations go by really fast, and I, I think we could go spend another hour, hour and a half just kind of going into some of the good old days, talking about your storyteller <laughs> roles, um, talking about some of the other experiences you've had. Certainly, I would, I'd love to have a conversation just around the auto industry because I think that's a fascinating subset. But alas, we're not going to have the time to do that. So what I do want to talk about, though, as we kind of wrap up is, you know, you, you now find yourself out of work, right? You find yourself, you've did such a good job, pat on the back, that you are now no longer employed. And, and all jokes aside, this is this great opportunity for you. Again, we go back to the beginning. You talked about the balance in your life and, and what that affords you. Now you have this opportunity to go in and find that next new thing, that thing that, uh, that piques your curiosity and gets you engaged and involved. So talk to me a little bit about what it's like finding yourself sort of out of a role and the things that you're thinking about in the transition into your next thing and how you're starting to think about what that new thing's going to be for you. It's the most unusual feeling ever. <laughs> so <laughs> I, um, it's, it's, I have, so since I graduated from business school, um, 
and my son is an undergrad at University of Chicago. So I feel like, you know, University of Chicago is getting more than its fair share of advertising in this They're, um, they're going to sponsor this show. I, yeah, I think we'll reach out. Yeah. <laughs> um, but since I graduated, literally, I, so from Ford to Chrysler, um, Chrysler to Walmart, Walmart to my own consulting, consulting to SAP, SAP to Abra, in between like each of those like interstitials in between, it was always like the weekend is what I had off before I started the next thing. I have never taken like, you know, people are like, Oh, well, you know, in between these jobs, like you've got that job, take three weeks or a month. Right. I have no bloody idea what that's like. So um, I have now been, it's been like two weeks and I did just take a family trip to Africa. I used some of that hard earned fun equity payout money to take my family to Africa, which was amazing. That could be again, its own podcast, but, um, and now I find myself back, the merger's done. And, you know, I certainly am talking to other companies, but I have this, uh, just, I feel very blessed this luxury of having severance for quite a while in my payout where I, I don't feel the pressure to have to start something. Um, and I have the opportunity to, to look at things. Um, I'm also, Todd, unfortunately, not one of those people who's going to feel very good if I'm not working probably by at least January, maybe before that would seem like a forever and I would start to lose my mind. But um, I know for a fact that the things that are most important to me are really, I'm a big believer as, as you know, of culture eat strategy for lunch. Um, You can be <laughs> the overused genius. You can be a genius. You can be the best in whatever you do. But if you do it in a culture and environment that's not cohesive or anti, you know, that's that's that is antithetical to yours, you'll never succeed. And um, I've had that experience. And so for me, I, I look at the culture, the organization, the people that I'm going to work with. That's the first and foremost, and that's a very yeah. hard thing to try to figure out through online searches. Um, and so I really rely on my network of people because they know who I am and then they hopefully know whoever they're recommending. And so that's, I kind of retouching base with the network and re-engaging with the network. This is kind of what I'm, I'm doing now. And then, you know, those transformational opportunities and sometimes the transformation just in a couple of the companies and I, I won't share the different companies, but there's one where it's kind of a traditional retail thing. And, not super sexy and at all. Um, it's hard to beat, of course, auto body collision, but um, it's, it's still, um, it's one that it's like, people are like, kind of, you get flat. There's almost no energy about it. But when I started to dig deep and think about it, I was like, oh my God, you, but you could imagine if we just used this technology and did this, think about that customer experience now and what it would be. And it would totally revolution. And again, this is in my head, but it sometimes it really takes thought of the, even the most people say the name of a company and you're like, what? Um, just sort of like auto body collision. If you sit down and you kind of think through it, sometimes those ideas come up and then it can get pretty exciting as long as the culture and the environment is such that they get excited about it too. Because I've had those kinds of conversations with a couple of healthcare companies recently and you know, you get a few people excited, but at the end of the day, the board wasn't excited or whatever. And, then it's like a square peg and a round hole. It's just not worth doing because you've really got to have, you've got to, to be able to do, I think for me, I've, I've got to have an environment that's sort of loving of this experimentation of trying something new because otherwise you end up just, you know, it's like 
it's like shopping for a shiny shoe in the window. It's like, those are beautiful shiny shoes. And then you put them on and after about three hours, your feet are killing you and you just want to take them off and put them away. I don't want to be that shiny shoe. I don't, you know what I mean? <laughs> I, I want to be, I, I want to be a cool hip shoe, but something that you want to walk around in all day, every day. So, um, you know, trying to find those kinds of opportunities are, are really what I'm, I'm focused on. But uh, again, I have the luxury of time now to really to do that thoughtfully. Well, what I, what I really took away from this and what I loved hearing was, so your natural curiosity leads you into places that fit on culture and fit on transformational opportunity that Yes, there's something inherently nice, and we go back to we're defined by our titles or we're defined by our brand, right? So it's it's great to say chief storyteller at SAP, right? That immediately has some cachet associated to it, and you've right. got brand recognition with the you know with the big enterprise, well established worldwide brand. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, there's also something about going off and going on your own finding those rich, unique opportunities that are based on a culture that you fit in that also help you transform and, and make a what could be an HBR case study around what you did with Abra in 18 months um, that are unique and different and interesting and, and might have people kind of going, really? Auto, auto body collision? Really? That's your mm-hmm. next step? Where mm-hmm. you, see, you see untapped resources. You see a, 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 you know, a vein of gold that you can go in and mine to use that old cliche. Yeah. But there's really a new, new and unique opportunity there. So as an employee, I think taking that time to sit back and think, what is it the thing that really motivates me? Is it the brand that I work for? Is it the title that I have? Or is it at the end of this, I can do something really unique and rich and interesting and be given the and afforded the opportunity to do that, that I might not have at one of those bigger, larger, more established companies. Yeah. If you can put your ego in check and not be yeah. like, well, clearly the next thing I need to be CMO of Coca-Cola or Pepsi or I like, you know, like or the biggest brands you can think of, you know, because that's obviously the step up, uh, you know, for me, look, it, I, I'm nothing against, I'd, I'd be flattered. Those people are great. But how much transformation can I make there? I like kind of, I'm now kind of finding these nuggets. And if you can put your ego in check and, and not have a problem saying, yeah, oh God, I'm CMO of Abra Auto Body Inclusion. You know, you've heard of them. If you can, you know, get your mind around that because it's not about the title anymore. It's not about you wielding a massive budget and therefore getting the attention of the whole media industry. That it's really about you taking, you know, you just kind of falling in love with, seeing this transformation happen before you. It's, it's so, I can't tell you how rewarding it's been for me when you're able to see things happen so quickly and you're like, wow, like this would be so hard to do in a public company because it just takes longer. And in a private equity company, you can do things quicker yeah. and, and it's really rewarding. And, you know, monetarily speaking, it's the most rewarding thing I've ever done financially but it's been like the, the, you know, the least glamorous, you know, company I've ever worked for too. And so it's, for me, it's been a great lesson learned. I, I now it's like, you know, I don't, I don't have any trouble going and saying, yeah, I've had all those really great CMOs titles of those really big companies. And now I'm doing this at these smaller ones because there's just something really, um, just, there's something really rewarding about it. And I hope more people take those chances. Cause I think, 
those great big companies and I, God, God love them. And, you know, they, they help keep the economy strong, but there's these smaller companies that have just untapped opportunity that, um, I, you know, will be the big companies of the future, or even if they're not, they'll have the opportunity to make a major impact. And so I hope, I hope more people um, look at those opportunities. There's just a, there's a lot to be done and a lot to be learned that could then be carried on to other companies, maybe even the bigger companies. Love it. Okay. So we're going to wrap up here in a second, but you are also now doing your own podcast. So if people want to find you, listen to you, hear you on your journey as you transition onto this next great transformational opportunity, where do they find you? What's the podcast about? Like, Plug your stuff. Let's hear it. Yay. Well, okay. So first of all, you can just go to my website, which is just julierame.com. So you can go there. You can link to it there. Of course, on the um, the Apple, the iTunes podcast, you can type in the conversational Julie Rame, um, and it'll come up there. And I just launched it last week. So thank you. Um, it's really a passion project more than anything. I just launched with three. I've got two more coming out next week. And some more recording, but the, these are conversations with some of the most interesting people that I have met over my um, life. And really it's, it's, I didn't want to have a conversation with these people about their jobs and their careers, because I think that there's other people who are tapping into that and who are, um, who are already covering that. And I wanted to try to find a different angle. And so my angle is really to, to get a glimpse at their backstory and to find, I call them these like, holy shit moments. So this, like, these Hoshimos, because we all have them where, you know, I don't know whether you're a kid and you were 13 and you had a dream of being, you know, whatever, um, or you were in college and you thought you would do this, something inevitably happens to us that totally shifts our thinking and puts us on a different path, whether it's yeah. career, family, life, the whole thing. And so I really wanted to explore that with people because those are the kinds of conversations I've had over cocktails, over coffee, whatever. So I wanted to bring that conversation to people um, and have them maybe be as inspired as I have been by just these other people I've met. So it's really me getting other people to share their backstories. And um, that's what it's about. Perfect. I love it. That's a great format and a great, interesting, new, unique approach versus just the traditional thing. So uh, again, you don't do anything cookie cutter. That's been apparent through uh, through our knowing each other and through this conversation. And and I'm sure people listening are like, yep, not cookie cutter. That's for sure. In fact, maybe that'll be the title of this this podcast will be Julie, not cookie cutter. Not cookie cutter. Not cookie cutter. <laughs> Well, Julie, listen, thank you for, for hopping on and spending the time with us. Uh, I loved hearing your, your views on transformation, what you're doing now. But really, I think if anything, it's this idea of, you know, putting your ego aside, not only just in terms of the role that you took, but really in this opportunity to sit down and work with the other leaders within the business and help them think through a transformation for their organization to sit down and go through, here's what the customer is going through. How do we focus on that? What does that look like? How do we do this to actually build and grow and make our business better and stronger? It's not just an, you know, an exercise in futility, but really as a business plan to take this customer centric notion and, and drive the business forward, get people out there talking to the customers, talking to the people on the front lines, understanding their business better, that takes a risk and that's a bold move. And again, I think it's endemic of the type of career that you've created. So I was really appreciative that we got the opportunity to sit down and hear that and walk through that. And I know there's other people that have been inspired by that as a notion and will take 
little bits of this back into their business and, and try and transform the world that they're making around them as well. So Julie, really appreciated having you on today. It's been such a rich, fun conversation and I, I knew I was going to enjoy it, but I, I got, you know, aces and spades out of it afterwards. <laughs> oh, thank you for having us. It was an honor really to be included and for you thinking of me. So thank you very much, Todd. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening. I love listening to Julie talk and really appreciate how honest, forthright, and transparent, overused word, but transparent she is in terms of who she is, how she's evolved, what her career looks like, and what her focus is. I love what she was able to do with Abra and how she made a complete transformation of the organization, and now she's on to the next thing, always learning, always evolving, always trying to take it to that next level and really looking at what can I do outside in? What does my audience want? What do my customers want? What do the people around me want? And how do I evolve and adapt to add value? If you'd like to, I suggest you follow her on her website. It's Julie, J-U-L-I-E-R-O-E-H-M dot com. Once again, Julie, J-U-L-I-E-R-O-E-H-M dot com. And if you'd like to listen to more exceptional leaders like her, please keep following the podcast. Click that little subscribe button on whatever platform you're listening. Also suggest you pick up a copy of the book, Beyond Product. Beyond Product is now available at foundersplace.co, Amazon, Barnes & Nobles, your favorite bookstore or retailer. It is chock full of insights on how to build, grow, and evolve your business. Many of the lessons that Julie talked about are there in the book as well. I highly suggest you pick up a copy. Thanks again for listening, and we hope to hear you again soon. You've been listening to the Founders Place podcast, the place where exceptional founders grow. For past episodes, blogs, and more, visit us at foundersplace.co. That's foundersplace.co. And thanks for listening to the Founders Place podcast, the place where exceptional founders grow. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.